Montreal West Public Library series of podcasts on aging in Montreal West. As Sharon, Bronya, and myself have been looking at topics for our podcast, we've realized that there are groups and resources for seniors in Montreal that we had either never heard of or only had vague ideas about what they did. We want to fill in some of these knowledge gaps, and today, we are introducing you to Anne Keynes, who will share her enthusiasm and knowledge of RECA, R-E-C-A-A, a seniors group with an international vibe and a super website at RECA.ca. Welcome, Anne, and we would love to start this podcast with an introduction to RECA and your vision for this group. Well, thank you for welcoming Ian to the west of Montreal. We actually are spread out through Montreal and we are a group of elders that uh, really came together in 2000. And if you remember, uh, if you remember, there was a lot of um, a lot of projects around the world and it concerned International Seniors Year. They always, the UN always projects one, one day or two days a year for seniors. And this was one of them that, um, that really opened my eyes to not the needs of seniors, but just celebrating, you know, elders. And without any knowledge of where I was, I was an elder too, but we never see ourselves as elders or seniors. You know, it's always somebody out there, you know, but uh, you suddenly realize that you are an elder. And I was really privileged to be on a, a project uh, designed by the CLSC René Cassin, which at that time was very concerned about elder abuse. And they had, uh, organized or wanted to know why the elders from the ethnocultural communities were not using their resources. So they decided to go to a few of the community organizations that they were familiar with. And at that time, I happened to be a member of the South Asia Women's Community Center, which by the way, is the only English speaking, as I understand it, women's community center. Uh, and and for families, but women of South Asian origin, and that's Pakistan, India, um, Sri Lanka. Uh, it's and, and if you think about it, each of those countries could be a continent in itself. It's so it's especially India. Well, so I was asked to not represent them because I'm not South Asian. And I said, I'd be very happy to go, but I don't represent the South Asian community, but I'll bring back what I can, what we can gather with the other community organizations. And it was an eye opener because I realized how silent our communities have been over the issue of elder mistreatment. And especially in communities that are quite isolated from the mainstream, either the English or the French and they are elders from the cultural communities. They come here as immigrants, even if they've come here many, many years ago, they have come here 
perhaps, I mean, without needing to learn English or French. So they were they're caught in a trap of not knowing either language. So that if they're, they're in a family with a very strong sense of community, they can never really express if they're feeling isolated, unhappy. I mean, the ideal for every family is to be respectful to your elders, to work and to give them the, the dignity um, of, a, of a good life after retiring. And I mean, we're finding out that every society wants that as an ideal. But in, in the myths that we have, the cultural communities are community-minded and the, the, we are individually uh, more selfish. We are uh, self-driven in our aspirations. We don't really um, value community as much as they do. Now, I won't go on too much, but I was saying that it was really interesting because as far as we were concerned, we were, we were really instructed really to go back to our communities and somehow create some kind of bridge between the CLSCs and the communities. And, you know, after, after, the, meet, after the project, we decided to meet and we said, look, it's really hard for us to go back because some of us could be the reason why it's such a, a silent and, and a hidden issue is because it's so hard to talk about your own community. It's so hard because you could also be targeted as, oh, yeah, we know the Chinese community or the Asian community respects their elders. But, oh, this community, you know, there's a lot of abuse. We didn't want that kind of stereotyping and racializing and and. Um, I'm making up this word, ethnicizing different communities, right? So we said, okay, you know, elder abuse is something or abuse is something that can happen across the cultures, across the groups, across the class. You know, the word I like now to use is intersectionalism. You know, we're all a mixture, you know, it's 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 uh, how we perceive ourselves in our society, and we can come from many different uh, perspectives. And so, we said, well, why don't we just come together and form our own group and reach out to elders, and we can say, you know, we come from all the cultural communities, or not all of them, and we need to break down the barriers of this issue. We need to break the silence and we need to break it in some way that supports each other. And that's really the first idea of RECA. And the second one was that we don't speak everyone's languages because we're all, you know, we're a mixture of South Asian, Caribbean, um, uh, South American, uh, Central American, uh, Asia. So what do we do? You know, our, our common language was English at that point. English or translating each other with, you know, people understanding English and Spanish or French and, and uh, Italian or Italian uh, and English. And um, so that's when we discovered um, theater and we discovered uh, Augusto Boal. And uh, tell me if I'm, I'm, I'm not talking too much or, okay. So what we, what we had was, I had known of Paulo Freire who's written what's called the Pedagogy of the Oppressed. 
And it's very powerful because in fact, Paula Freire was working with the, um, the churches in Brazil and he was, he was assigned to teach literacy. And when he, when he started a literacy program, he realized that no one really wanted to learn how to read or write, but they would if you allowed them to look at their reality. It's a really philosophical approach, this pedagogy. And it was, and you know, it, I really, I, I think it, he's hard to read, but he's really powerful because what he says is the people know where they are. And when you give them the opportunity to know and to put those into words, they will learn. But it's a very radical idea. He was imprisoned for it because it was during the dictatorship, you know? And the next person that followed him was Augusta Boal. Augusta Boal has translated it into theater. And what he, um, and I'm recounting somebody who, who actually has, is giving us the skills, or not the skills, but we're always learning what foreign theater is about. Forum theater is about enacting a reality that a group might be experiencing and then allowing them to work it out by actually becoming uh, the protagonist and seeing what the protagonist wants and what the antagonist wants. In So you have like the government wanting something and you have the people wanting another thing. And this is what he was doing, Augusto Ball was, again, he was a Brazilian and he did it in Brazil. At first he was a theater person who, and they shut down all the theaters. Nobody could perform because art is very radical when you have dictatorship and authoritarianism because they don't want you to expose anything. They want what an authoritarian regime wants you to propagate what they want. So what he did was, he was in a sense exiled and he worked with some uh, workers and peasants and he did theater. And then he would say, okay, now you've given this experience, do something. And they'd say, well, okay, but what about you? Are you one of us? You know, why aren't you doing anything? And he would enact something and he would say, is this, and he would use his actors and the people would say, no, 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 that's not that's not what we're experiencing or that's not what I've experienced. So finally he said, you do it, come up and do what you want to say. And that's when it started. It's, it's really a people's theater. So how do we adapt it to RECA and how do we do it? We do not, we do not use any language. It's a silent theater for us and we don't call it mime. What we do is we enact little scenes that might be the situation of elders living here as immigrants or as, as those who've been challenged by culture and language living here and not having a voice. So the goal was for us to share what we have experienced coming here with them and not to come with solutions, but to come with how they perceive their situation and how the community around them would be able to hear and help and be a support. So it's always the community is, is the essence because they're the ones that live whatever the trauma is 
or whether the support will be. So, <laughs> and we've been going for <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> and we'll invite you to the 20th anniversary event. It's gonna be big. Actually, well, it's more than 20 years, but we call it 20 years. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So how do you um, take your theater out to the, the world? um around montreal How do well you... i mean we really take it out to montreal we go everywhere and i have to say that because we're open to whichever group invites us we have been able to go to uh young children as 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 young as 10 and 11 right who would say how can you do that to grandmother you know they get it right away how can you do that to an and then they act out if they were grandmother how would they respond right what are the words that would come out because then they could use their own language so we have been to women's groups and we have been to elder groups because that's where we want to have that conversation and and we want to find out and actually the one of the things that we thought were really was really important was to break the silence and to break the silence so that you could do it and get community support and that you would, would not be afraid to address what you were experiencing to and, uh, and most most uh, ethnocultural communities have a community organization that they go to but that may be the last group that they go to because they're afraid of people talking they're afraid they know their community and they will shake their heads no no but if you have if you have the workers there, if you have the workers participating in the acting, if you act out how they could come and break this, it's extremely difficult to talk about what's happening in your home. We all know this. Yes. Extremely difficult. It happens in every family, but everyone seems to feel that they're isolated and they only are experiencing it. And what we're saying is, you know, unfortunately, it's too common and we can't we have to say the opposite too which is not all elders are are in this situation and what we hear is really a various various re responses no there's no um mistreatment in our community and if there is it's only because we come here what does that mean what does that mean yeah. We respect our elders, right? We did until we came here. What does that mean? We get to discuss it. We get to discuss it. And elders are not silent. I don't want to project them as if they're elders. I'm an elder, you know? <laughs> and the thing is, what we need to do is to support each other and, and make that transition between how you feel alienated from even your family, right? because they have their issues. We're talking about issues where roles in a family dynamic have changed when they come and they immigrate here, where somebody was highly in a patriarchal society where the, the husband knew his place and the wife knew his place and the husband worked. Here, the husband may not find a job, but the woman will always do anything to keep the family going. So there is, there's a power dynamic or a loss of 
and I'm not going to generalize because it's not across the board uh, that this is, but what we're saying is that small group that needs to be heard and needs to find some way of, I mean, we all want elders to live their life, you know, uh, to the very end with the quality of life, safe, strong, and free, you know, and to be able to participate. So I'm not sure if anyone has any questions at this point. No, it's um, it's very clear, and it's it's every society. And the other thing that's going on is that we are changing as we grow yes. older, and you've got to you've got that dynamic in it too. And it's uh, that's right. It's nice to have somebody looking into this and providing some help. It's a it's a well, good. Well, we all have yes. We all talk about how we are valued, but are we really valued? You know, this is the big question, you know, and 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 we come with little stereotypes about them and us. You know, we have we have these wonderful ideas that the Asians take care of their elders or, you know, Western society doesn't. Whoa, those are huge generalizations, huge generalizations. You know, the world has changed so much and. We just have to share how we stay together as a community of people helping each other rather than judging each other and stereotyping each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm interested in your choir because I've always, I have this lifelong uh, thought that if everybody sang in a choir, we'd have no troubles in society at all, that that's all we need is a choir. <laughs> how yeah. does that, how's that going? That sounds really good. Our choir is, uh, well, I mean, we started off because it was just kind of something relief, you know, a relief to just be able to sing to each, uh, sing with each other. Because what we're talking about, I mean, we have fun. I have to say we have fun. There is so much fun acting. I need to break in to say that. We had a few, we, all of us were like so tight not knowing how to really now we're like oh my gosh you can't stop them <laughs> you know we're all so expressive now and that has helped a lot because you're always feeling that you're you're speaking for yourself but you're also speaking for a group of people that you know needs the communication you know does this happen in your community does this happen to you how how are we going to be working together on this we act it out you know, we act out who we have to have to face. We act out how we are in the family. We come together and we talk about it. It, it becomes very uh, a a kind of a a very loving community, and that's what you want in the one one that respects each other and respects the differences. But in the end, you know, that's what we want is the respect, and that's uh, that's the other the other motto that. Rekka has, which is towards a culture of respect. We're constantly redefining what the word respect means, right? But to go back to singing, singing has been really uh, just amazing. It started off, you know, why are we singing? Why are we not singing, you know? So we started to sing and we realized that it's so uplifting. We start talking about our experiences. And now we have a whole group are singing in 
Urdu. We're singing in, you know, in a West Indian dialect. We're singing in, and because we have to explain the songs, it's a real education for us. And it helps us in our acting and our expression and, and really discovering each other's cultures. We sing together. You're very welcome to join us. <laughs> but we sing, we sing together and we eat together. That's the other thing that's wonderful. We have amazing lunches. In fact, Eric knows too that we, um, sorry, Eric, I put your name into it, but food is at the, at, at the core. Our lunches are very important and they're multicultural. They're, um, they're where we really talk about issues that are important that we are actually demonstrating to theater. And we don't go in as people who have the answers. We go in and saying, what are the answers for all of us? If there are, there's no one answer. There's no one reality. How do we help each other? And those are who are silent can listen to those who perhaps have ideas of how they can uh, be helped. But yes, singing is amazing. Singing is wonderful because it takes us out into other, other ways of thinking, other words. Lyrics are really important that are sung in our group. And, um, and they also tell history through the songs, which has been very interesting. Well, you're yes. definitely welcome to join. <laughs> okay, where, where is your choir located? Where do you meet? Well, okay, we're always looking for places, but right now we have a patron of really, we're actually in Concordia. We're mm -hmm. in what's called the, um, the listening room. And um, it's, it makes us feel very professional. And um, it's, it's kind of like a black box where uh, we're, not, we're not being recorded. We just go in and use the black box. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, um, we sing every week and we tell our stories through either the songs or through our lunches. Lunches are very important. We eat together and we extend what happens in the songs into our eating or into our acting because we rehearse uh, every, uh, oh, wait a minute. I was just thinking about how we do this now because we have a new way of, of um, programming what we do. We sing on, um, we sing on Thursdays and we meet as a group on Tuesdays. And we meet also through the, really through working with Concordia. And it's very downtown. If you ever want to join us, you're very welcome. Just to even share a meal with us would be lovely because uh, we have, you know, a mixture of all different kinds of food. And um, we're not a huge group right now, but we're enough of a core of a group that keeps us very busy and very stimulated because we find out a lot about each other and a lot about living in Montreal. And that's very important because this is where we're situated. And we like to learn about how different communities work and how we connect up with different communities as well. 
Good. And I, I'm thinking that uh, people could reach you through your website if if some of the listeners to this podcast. Yes. No, we're always learning. We're always learning. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do. And Eric is certainly helping us to be as online as possible because we are really very much personal. Our theater or what we call our scenes are personal to the groups that we're in and uh, that we go to. But online, and this is what happened during the pandemic, I must say the, um, the fact that we had uh, two years of practically lockdown was a challenge to RECA. But what it did was, and I think that I've been hearing this from, from people, actually, I think it's a beautiful word. The symbol for, for Augusta Bois' work has been a Chinese uh, word, which means crisis. But the word means from every crisis, there's an opportunity. And I think this is what really happened with us when we were all afraid of getting online. This is even scary for me, you know, but we've learned either we had to shut down because we were in person. We did our workshops to different communities. And so what were we going to do when we couldn't see each other? And we're elders, so we couldn't see each other. So we just decided we would have to be online. And so we met every week online and had to learn how to relate to getting online. And we're still learning. You know, we had all different kinds of equipment, some totally outdated, some, you know, we could only hear people but not see them. And so we've been learning over this, this time. And we've been learning too to do a workshop online. So we have, uh, two scenes that we have filmed and that we have managed to go out to the communities online. And that's been the help of Aging Act, which is um, uh, a, a group, a Concordia group that has been working with us, Professor Kim Sachuk, and includes Eric. And we've been managing to do workshops online and to learn by doing how to be not afraid, at least of some things like getting on Zoom <laughs> when we can. And it takes, it took a long while. Oh my gosh, I can't see you. Yes, I can't see you. Oh my gosh, I can't hear you. You know, now we're a bit better. We're less afraid. And now it's helped because as we age, some of our members find it very difficult in winter to come out to where we are right now. And so this has been really uh, an opportunity for us to use a hybrid form of communicating where you can come on, even in our singing, by the way, because what we do is we have our, our laptop set up and people who can't physically come in because it's too hard for them to come in now, sing with us, right? As we are in person and the computer is there so that we can say hello to everybody. This is how we're coming back. But as we're coming back, we're getting older. And some of us find it very difficult to come in person. So this has been a way, a learning process that we can do this. We also learned that we can do a workshop online. And so we're able to offer something on our, on our 
website. And also what we did during the whole period was to just contribute to our website with poetry, with, with photos, with things that we've done, with um, paintings, and then allowed our group to zoom out to all these other interesting uh, Zoom meetings that we could go to, right? We never stopped meeting. We met on Zoom every week. That was for sure, so that we kept in touch, but we couldn't physically see each other. Yeah. And it's been so nice to be able to hug each other and touch each other and have lunch together. You know, we used to have, we'd put our meal out and look at what everybody was eating and it would be on Zoom, right? But now we can actually do both. When those who, who, who can't come in in person, they come in on the computer and that's how we've been functioning now. And the, yeah, it's uh, we've learned a lot through the pandemic. I mean, really, and and um, sometimes um, it's just as good to meet online. Um, yes, maybe it's better. But when you think of an hour bus ride downtown and an hour bus ride back, but sometimes Zoom is better. It, oh, uh, I know. You can always have the the group that you wanted if you could have this hybrid way of working you know where some will come in on zoom and like this week we're going to be meeting on zoom because some of us are not going to be there and we decided if they have access to to their laptop they could come in at any time and they would come into the meeting you know it's it's you don't have to worry about whether suddenly there's this storm and you can't get through, you know, and three people come in. You always have access to each other now, either through. And that's been that's been really, really useful because, you know, working now online, there's so many possibilities and so many areas that we've gone to that we never physically could go to look at. I'm in your library or we're not, I'm in your home, but <laughs> you know, this is, this is a possibility that we can talk to each other, right? We could decide to meet and do something. I could say, welcome. If you're ever in town, we're very accessible. We're at Guy Metro. So. And we're meeting for people listening to this at 8.30 in the morning. That wouldn't be possible downtown either. <laughs> I know. This yeah. is it, right? And it, and now we're going into winter, you yeah. know, real winter. Although it's it's kind of a strange transition that we're having, you know, um, can't predict from day to day. But I, I don't know if I'm just talking too much, or if anybody wants to ask a question or comment. Uh, Branya or Sharon, do you have anything? Yeah. Hi. Um, it's Bronya speaking. I'd like to ask something. Um, what does RECA actually stand for? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> well, that was the funniest way that we got RECA because it sounds like we're into wrecking. And then we thought, hey, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> so, no, we had someone uh, who was um, uh, from, the, from Chile and uh, and we said, what are we going to name her? What are we going to call ourselves? And she just said, Rekka. I said, well, what's Rekka? And she said, we saw cette nos culturelles contre l'abus envers les aînés. 
you know, which is exactly what we are. We're from the cultural communities against elder abuse. But so we said, okay, let's go with that, right? So we established ourselves. Actually, we are a nonprofit organization, not a charity. We just had to be legitimate in order to get a grant or two to help us get through some of the early years. And, um, and then, um, or to have some legitimacy somewhere, you know, so that we would offer, offer elders speaking to elders with other groups. And, um, but then now we slightly altered RECA, it's still RECA, but in English we say respecting elders, communities against abuse. It still has the acronym, but we added that because that's important too, because we do function. We function amongst each other in translating if people can't or interpreting, but we really are English speaking to each other. Um, but, you know, we welcome, I mean, Montreal is multicultural as far as I'm concerned, we're all connected, you know. Thank you. Yes. Another question I have is once as a group, when you've gone through the process of being able to identify some of the abuse that is going on in the communities and in the homes, what is the next step forward? What happens to the person who identifies some abuse going on that maybe they never saw it in that respect, the people around them, the family around them, is there a reaction or are you involved in that process that goes past the identification of abuse? Well, we're not counselors per se. We're not in the, um, uh, so what we say clearly is what we give is our experience and we look for resources for all of us. And so depending on the community that we go to, we might change the resources, but we usually have something that's printed or our, the first thing that we say is, if, if you're experiencing any issue, you have to look at whether the community and the community leaders themselves are aware that they are also involved in this and that there has to be a trust between those who are community leaders and the communities that they lead. Are they willing? And, and sometimes when we were in person, we would have community workers act out with us what it's like for somebody to break the silence if they were experiencing it. They have to, they have to themselves learn that if their community or if individuals in their community have an issue, they must feel that they can trust the people who are community workers to know what to do and how to help them. Now, it's, it's, it can be a bit complicated because communities can be isolated just as much as the individuals in them. So what you find is a protective, a protective barrier between the communities and the help that may be potentially there or never there. And they would find it difficult to ask because they would be stereotyped as having problems. You don't wanna be a community that has problems, even if you do have it. You wanna say, 
we're like all communities who have problems and we need the resources to help us. And I think that's where the link may break down because if you have somebody who has an individual problem and they go outside the community, they never know whether, uh, and this is in good faith, the social worker or community worker outside will bring them back into the community in which they're finding that they don't want to express themselves to that community. Do you see what I mean? Elder mistreatment is, is extremely complex and it's, it is definitely identified with the culture too that, that, that you're living in. How shameful, it's, it's shameful in, in every society. And that's what we're learning, to think that elders can be abused. And the worst thing is abused by their own families. And some people will say, but Anne, elders do abuse. I said, of course, everybody, anybody, after they reach the age of seven, <laughs> can actually abuse each other. But what you're trying to do is to find ways in which an unrecognized abuse can be rectified and where you could stop an abuse and prevent it from escalating so that you have disrespect at one end and you have total abuse at the other, right? So really that's where we come in. We say, where are you on this spectrum if you are on this spectrum? And if you are on a spectrum that's dangerous for you, don't even think twice, you call 911. If you are, and you need the support, then is this a community that will give somebody support, okay? And what we, what we really advise is never, it's so hard to do it on your own. So what we try to create is a, is a community of support that you can break your silence and that you don't go on your own. It is extremely difficult. You go and somebody has a bad day and you want to tell your, you want to bear your heart out and they just shut you down. You might never go again to, to outside. So we say, well, you go again, but you find somebody else. And, and that's what we're saying. Are you a support to someone? Can you be that support that somebody needs? Will you go? And will you find out the information that somebody is, is uh, too afraid? And, you know, we've, we've done our workshops in Sejeps, and it's really an eye-opener because we will have people come, uh, students come to us and say, I never thought about it this way, because they had to play the grandmother or Aunt Enid, you know, who lives alone. I never really thought about it this, and I think we're, we're mistreating my grandmother. We never talked to her because we think she's, she's too foreign and she's got these ideas that, you know, don't meet up with us. But, it, but someone said to me, you know, I never really reached out because she was always criticizing me but she broke her arm one day and I had to give her, her her lunch and supper. And we started to talk and I realized she has a whole history I was never open to, right? And what she went through has, is incredible. So you just need that link. You know, did you ever think of it this way? Or did you ever think as a grandma, you could have done this, right? We acted out, they acted out, okay? And we know abuse exists and neglect exists and we, and we do the best we can, but as long as we have our people, we're, we're liable 
to be misunderstood and also to intentionally, if we're not careful, abuse and neglect. And we consider neglect an abuse. <laughs> yes. Um, Sharon, did you have a question? I saw your hand. Yeah. yeah. Hi, Anne. I'm Sharon. Um, Hi. First, um, I know it's a very complex issue for sure. Um, how do you know when, how do you know if you're being successful in terms of decreasing elder abuse? Is there any way of, of measuring that within communities or, um, yeah, I guess within communities or with in terms of individuals that you're interacting with? Well, you know, we, we used to think that was the important part to see if we were being successful. What was our impact? What is our impact? What you do is you keep doing it, right? And you do get, you do, because we've been around for a long time and people aren't gonna say, oh, you helped me, but they have. Uh, and community organizers will say, uh, they never thought that people would be open enough to talk about it. All we're doing is opening it out a bit, uh, but we do get people who, who call us and want to know how we can help them. But we're very clear that we're just as much, you know, in situations that they might be in. And we're helping each other go through some times. You know, there is a, a mutual supporting. So what we say is, all right, um, is there anybody that you think you can, is Simpa in your group that you can go to, right? And don't do it alone. And we're finding, People do go and speak because they've, when we have our workshop, we usually have the social worker, sometimes it's the police, sometimes it's the whole group, the community worker, as many as they can who are supposed to be helping the group. And we say, you know, is this group capable of going to you? So we give them a way to act it out, all right? Because there's nothing like a little bit of acting that gives you confidence that this person is saying what she wants to say or he wants to say to grandma or aunt Enid, right? And and says, you know, anytime you can come in and talk. And sometimes I'll be busy and I'll look like I'll, I'll, I'll kick you out, but come back, come back. We give them words sometimes because that's, you know, you go once and somebody rebuffs you and you might never come back again, right? But if somebody you know says, I may rebuff you, but that's not my intention, come back. And if the community rebuffs, go to another community. What, you are, your, great. what are your priorities for next year? Does your group sort of look forward in terms of, of sort of modifying their priorities or, or, or tweaking them, let's say? Well, I, I wanna go back to, is it Kathy? Mm -hmm. Yes, your question about uh, the long-term care facilities, right? Yes, and I think that, I mean, there are two aspects to RECA. One is reaching out to other elders and just dealing with mistreatment and the continuum from disrespect to abuse. And then there is the systemic. And we saw that when we saw how the pandemic 
affected elders in long-term care facilities. The curtain was drawn open and it was an ugly curtain and families were separated from their elders that they thought, and, and it wasn't perfect before and it was horrific during the pandemic because the, the death toll really weighed heavily on elders in long-term care. And, and, and also the workers, because if you, I mean, it was a system that was all dysfunctioning. Uh, nobody was being respected in that. So we, we do want very much to, um, to really have as one of our actions, and this year too, last year we had the action of, um, and thanks to Eric, and his group, we had a workshop on a manifesto and we decided to have a manifesto on long-term care. You know, we don't want elders, uh, no to broken promises, no to, um, to disrespect of elders in long-term care, right? Yes to person-centered care, right? In the home, we would prefer if we could have if we could all live at home and in our family situation, in familiar situations. And, and really the, the research says, and we use the model in Denmark, although all these societies are fracturing in many different ways, we all seem to be fracturing, but they do have a model that is person-centered and it's community-centered so that you don't have isolation of elders into these institutions. And if you should know the history of our institutions for long-term care, they're really modeled on the prison uh, model, which is to essentially lock you up and <laughs> to have things come in to help you, which is you know, not what, you, what should happen to anybody, right? Who is in need. Also, it's a medical approach. And what we're saying is you need a community person-centered approach. So we're moving from get your deputies, those officials that want to be um, elected, not to court elders during the election period and forget about us. This happens for women, especially, you know, we're always courted to, to you know, we're going to get everything and then, oh, women? Of course not. <laughs> well, now we're, we're having a stronger voice. But I think elders, elders need that voice and they need that voice to say enough is enough. And uh, by the time they get into long-term care, it's a medical situation. So the community part is left behind. And so you have people who, who slowly deteriorate, you know, and we saw the horror of what that meant. It meant death to people and, and people who were, who were intelligent and communicative, losing that ability because they were locked up. That's how many elders were taken care of, right? Because they didn't want them to get COVID. So lock them up, right? Uh, that, that requires, and so I feel now what's been happening is elders are becoming much more on the back burner again. It's, you know, we've got Maison, Maison des Aînés, which is smaller units, but really we should be changing it from the inside out, not having, having that culture change, you know, not to become standardized, institutionalized, 
but really person-centered. And when we say person-centered, I mean for the workers too. And for those who are too afraid to say anything because they it's so easy to have undocumented people helping who are not trained and because they may take anything. And I'm not saying they're undocumented. I'm saying the salary means that people who work in long-term care facilities have to go to many long-term care facilities or a few in order to make a living. So you have a, you have a community that really has caused death, not only to those in the homes, but spread COVID to families where somebody needed that work and couldn't and couldn't say no to it. So really, your the answer to your question was it's it's we really feel that that is one of the causes that all elders should take, and we welcome you to join because you need to speak to your deputies and you need to say elders should not be forgotten. It was wonderful to talk about what each one was doing or what each one wasn't doing and how we have to reform. We have to transform. We really have to transform. And that is why it's a huge challenge. But you can do it if you're really serious about it. And my feeling is that it shouldn't be whether, you know, uh, the NDP or the liberals or the party is doing the best they should be joining forces to do it together and make sure you know that what they say and what they talk about uh, one of my heroes is andre picard i don't know if you read in his book he he writes about the the horrible situation that we have allowed our elders to deteriorate and not to live the full life that they're entitled to, you know, with dignity to the very end. So we have to keep watching, we have to be vigilant. And if we're not there, and it's not their fault, it's, you know, you have nurses, caregivers want to do it, but they've got 15 minutes to do this, 20 minutes to do that, 30 minutes to do that. And all they can say is, you know, when I visit some of RECA members who've been in long-term care is, hello, how are you? How stimulating is that? But that's all they can do. Or have you have you eaten? Oh no, if you don't eat, we'll give it to you at, at, at supper time. Well, you know, uh, unless you're there all the time, uh, you're, even if you're there all the time, you're horrified. I mean, the stories that we hear, they're not, and, and I don't want to give you this, the, the, the blanket story that all long-term care is horrible. You have very caring people in long-term care. It's just that the structure doesn't work to care for the workers nor the elders because the model is wrong. The model has to change. The philosophy has to change. And we have to ask for it while we can as elders, <laughs> you know. We may, we may have to go, but we're all saying no, no, no. And I'm going, why are we saying no, no, no? Because we've seen what, you know, we've seen what's happened and is still happening. So it has to change. I'm sorry if I'm being a little bit too. Uh... <laughs> no, it's exactly what is needed. And uh, thank you for saying it. And thank you for advocating um, on behalf of all the people who are sitting at home thinking, oh my God, that was so horrible. 
how could we let all this happen? And yeah, you could see it. It was a slow moving train wreck that started 20, 30 years ago. Yes. Um, yes. Wasn't addressed. And uh, it has so many parts to it of low wages, um, yes. everything. Everything was wrong about long-term care. And, um, and, and if you look at the budgets for training, they've yeah. gone less and less and less, like maybe one or two hours or three hours a week, okay, or less than that. And training is essential if you're going to really care for, for yeah. those in long-term care. And not only caring physically, but caring mentally, you yeah. know, for someone's social and mental it's not just a question of TV or, or it's interaction, you know, it's interaction. That's why most elders fear or going into a long-term care, you know, uh, and they have a right to fear, you know, however nice it is. And every once in a while you have some minister coming in saying he's going to change the food and it never really happens. <laughs> and, Rec is very conscious of food. You could have very good food and and feed somebody nutritiously without having, you know, the horror that people refuse to eat. And I know in the cultural communities, there are many people who say they can't eat what is given them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a tough, tough thing. It's a huge, um, the solution is huge. And uh, so many. It is, but we have to keep eating away at it. But it's not only, yeah. and it has to be loud. That's why we decided to do a manifesto. You can check our record. We, we need to go back to it now, but but we we needed to keep it up and we couldn't be there in person. Although we had a, we had a silent vigil on World Elder Abuse Awareness Day um, to say no more promises, you know, this is something that has to happen. And now we, we want, I think everyone should say, you know, we should never forget what happened. We should learn the lesson and we should have our deputies come together and not talk about whether, you know, uh, we're only going to have French speaking people immigrate here, right? <laughs> but we need to deal with people here, you know, and I, and I feel like we're losing something in Quebec if we if we don't have this multicultural feature about who we are you know uh we're we should be global citizens now not our little nations we've got to save the planet also <laughs> you know what I mean? so that's also a part yes. of suffering yeah okay well listen i think we should wrap it up we've been talking for nearly an hour now we thank you for your generosity with your ideas and uh, the hard work you put in on behalf of elders. Uh, I think your group can move mountains. I have great faith in you. Um, and uh, it was just wonderfully talking to you, Anne. Thank, thank you, you so much. And you're very welcome to come and share a lunch with us. Bring uh, thank you. you. Like. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I love eating food, different food. Oh. We do too. Yeah, yeah. That that and that's when the stories come out. That's really when 
our lives are there with our food, how we eat. And it's with song now. Wow. Uh, I have to say, songs that connect us is what we're doing. And I can, I can say that there is going to be a, a concert. I mean, we're invited to tack on to a concert that is by a Colombian group. And it's uh, going to be on December 10th. And Rekka will sing uh, some of its songs. And it's songs that connect us. And you'll get a little bit of a preview. Unfortunately, I won't be there. But um, I can send Eric or uh, the advert. And, um, and you'll see how we sing. And any songs, I mean, we're going back to our childhood. It's so much fun, <laughs> really. Songs that connect us to people, you know, and to the different periods of our life. And, and as we do with food, we recount our stories, you know, when we sing. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Anne. Oh, you're yeah. very welcome. Yes, yeah. yeah. I hope you'll come and see us. <laughs> Good, we will. We will. Rania Sharon and I are here talking with Anne Keynes today. Anne um, is volunteers to aware, raise awareness within the multicultural mosaic called Montreal, uh, seniors and um, issues of abuse and neglect. And um, that she has a group who work with her and they're just, uh, they meet every week and they go to various places to meet with different ethnic groups to uh, just uh, bring the message of um, uh, abuse in it from its mildest to its more severe forms. Um, she, we also talked a bit about where we should live and how early we should start thinking about where we're going to live when we retire. So um, I'm going to pass it to Eric. One of their specialties is forum theater, which they use to um, start a discussion on uh, things that might not be going well within various seniors' lives. So I'm going to pass the mic to Eric, who will uh, tell us a bit about forum theater. Great. Thanks, Kathy. Um, Rekha, um, with Anne, uh, they work with Forum Theater, which is a type of activity, they call it a workshop, where they present a scene of elder abuse, usually a pretty mild one, um, in the community center. And uh, they do it without words, too. So this is interesting. And participants can sort of recognize issues. They can also um, choose to tell the actors to do something different when they repeat the scene. They can actually come up and replace the actors to see if they can get a different outcome out of this situation. And the situation could be that the nephew has the bank card and isn't using it in a way that is ethical. Um, so what do we do about this? So this gives people a chance to talk about these issues, but also try out like what are some strategies to to uh, to change that. And so they've been working for um for decades on this project, getting to all the different ethno-cultural communities in Montreal. And uh, it's, a, it's, a real, it's a real effective strategy. 